Are you ready to go down the rabbit hole? The All Things Alice podcast will explore the cultural phenomena of Alice in Wonderland. Frank Bedore, the author of the Looking Glass Wars trilogy, is your host through a wonderverse of interviews from all types of creators as they chronicle the dark yet empowering reality of Lewis Carroll's fantasies and answer the question, what is it about Alice that captivates us still today? The All Things Alice podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Decoding Dragons, where we break down all things House the Dragon. We're your hosts, Liza and Michelle, stealing the royalty and breaking down the fire for every episode. Yes, ma'am. So today we're going to be talking about what happened in House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 3, Second of His Name was the name of the title. What did you think of this episode? So first off, I was so wrong. Like, I was so wrong. We did not get a wedding. We did not get, you know, Allison in her green dress. So I have a theory about that later. Um, I was I was wrong. So basically, I don't watch the, um, the trailer, like the next episode trailers, but they come out because I'm trying to remember all that I can about the story, like on my own a little bit and kind of go into each episode with as little spoilers as possible. So we got all the Stepstone action in this episode, and it was so cool. I felt so bad for the guy that Caraxi stepped on. That was sad. That was so sad. <laughs> but um, we got all the Stepstones action. We got to see Kragus, um, the crab feeder, and got to see him be a villain and be all creepy in the caves and everything and come out to Damon waving the white flag. And we got to see Sea Smoke. What did you think? Yo, so, okay, talk about Sea Smoke. I didn't realize there was going to be another dragon. Uh, Coming out of the Stepstones, I am programmed to think that it's going to be a female riding a dragon to save the day because of the original Game of Thrones series. So when it first came on, I was like, yeah, Rhaenyra is coming to save the day. And then it was not at all Rhaenyra or Cyrax. Uh, Cyrax. So, uh, but the episode in general, so good. I know I said this last week. But again, it was a Game of Thrones episode the way we know Game of Thrones. There was a lot of political dialogue. There's a lot of crazy, gruesome battle scenes. Let me just say one thing real quick. Damon is a crazy son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he went out there solo. Like, I, I, I couldn't tell either by the end of it. I was like, did y'all, did Corlys and Damon have a plan? Like, or was right. this the last ditch suicide mission effort where he's like, I'm not going back. I'm losing or I'm I'm winning or I'm dying. Like, so No, he's just a nutsack. <laughs> he just decided to like hate on his brother and say, uh, no, and literally kill the messenger and then just go out on his own and fake that white flag was fucking crazy. And then the actual battle scene itself was so good. It was, it was a good plan. And I'm assuming that he and Corlys had it worked out at some point. Like, okay, eventually I'm going to need some backup. They're going to come out of the caves. I'm going to need some backup, but I'm going in alone first. And I kept looking for Caraxes, but I'm guessing that would have been way too obvious because um, the crab eater kept looking up like, I know you're not out here alone. I know you ain't come all this way without your dragon. Where is your dragon? Well, right. That was so brilliant by the writers because like he is obviously pointing us towards the sky and he's like i know there's gonna be a dragon come out and so we were all expecting craxies to come save his rider right and then it was just like nope not gonna happen we're like oh my god edge of our seats the entire time and okay so also fun fact i don't know how many out there um know this if you read the books um 
Targaryens being fireproof, from what I've heard, is actually only show canon. So it's not book canon. So I thought that was like a when Sea Smoke um, lit the ring of fire around Damon and like blew Damon backwards with the heat. I was like, oh god. <laughs> so I don't know how they're gonna handle if they're gonna keep the show canon in um, House the Dragon or if they're gonna slowly change it to them not being fireproof. So when Sea Smoke lit the ring of fire, I was like, you better be glad you were out of the way of that. <laughs> right. Well, and if. If you remember in episode one with Viserys, um, next to Balerion the Black Dread Skull, he was putting his hand over the candles. And he was fireproof. Yeah, I'm assuming they're going to keep it. Because um, it'd be kind of weird to change it now. Like, Daenerys, like, walked right. out of the fire and was like, I am here. Correct. <laughs> Follow me. So it would be it would be very interesting to kind of see how they're handling that. But it was an amazing episode. And I like how they're handling the pacing. Like, I like how they're sandwiching the action and the story so you get action at the beginning and you get to see Caraxes being totally badass and very scary that is a scary dragon I know I say this every episode no but he is the the way his body moves is so different and like what we've mentioned before with him you said he's called the blood worm I think with w-y-r-m but they totally get that like snaky wormy feel with the body with the neck with everything I know and it just it just it just unnerves me every time I see it so you get all that at the beginning and then the stag hunt and um, Aegon's birthday in the middle. The symbolism there was so good. The character building for Viserys and Rhaenyra was so on point. And then at the end, you get uh, the War for the Stepstones and um, Corlys kicking ass with his battle axe and Daemon basically becoming King of the Narrow Sea. And I was just like, this is this is how you pace an episode, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yo, Corlys is a badass. And everybody got to meet Vaemon. So in the book, he's um, Corlys's nephew. But in the show, it looks like he's going to be the younger brother. So he's actually going to be an important character moving on also. And it was just so cool to see the war table because we actually got to see so much of that in um, like the teaser images that were leaked early in production. So we got to see the war table and you've got Lenor and Vaemon and Corlys all there. And everybody's like, why are we still out here? This is basically a losing battle. And then Damon walks up, he sees all the energy. And um, my friends who were watching with me were like, yeah, he definitely saw the mutiny coming and had to do something about it. And I was like, he definitely did something about it. And he's like, fine, we're going to win and we're going to win fast. <laughs> that way nobody has to keep talking about it. So when he walked up to the war table and everybody was like, hey, let's do a mutiny, basically, except for Corlys. He's like, no, you're not doing a mutiny. Um, I thought that when um, Damon got Viserys' scroll, that it was going to be like, he's going to turn around and be Damon and be like, yay, my brother's here to help and he's going to send aid. But instead he fucking got pissed, beat the shit out of the messenger, and then went on a suicide mission. Yeah, so I don't know much about naval warfare, but I know for a fact I saw three ships go by and at least one of them got like crushed with their ground with their land to ship fire. And when Viserys said he was only sending 10, I was like, how long have they been fighting? Don't they need more than 10 maybe? Like I got a little insulted. I was like, just 10, but okay. But that was like, it was like it was just enough to say he did something but not enough to lose resources. And so I kind of got where Dan was coming from. Obviously, I know nothing about medieval naval warfare, but it was still, I still felt a little, I felt a little insulted on his behalf. I agree. I agree with that. I, I do want to say also, Vaymon Valerion is like the coolest name I've ever heard in my life. Vaymon Valerion, <laughs> right? 
No, I think all the Valerians have super cool names. Like you've got Lena and Lenor and Vaemon and Corlys. Corlys, yeah. And there are, there are some other Valerians in the books, and we're going to meet some others later in the story too. So they just they are just like such a cool house. So we are going to get into our blood section, and we all know there was a ton of blood in this episode, so we are going to dive into it and break down the different symbolism and character dynamics right now. All right, so it was kind of, all of these episodes have basically been the same energy as the earlier seasons of Game of Thrones, right? So we get so much politics, so much dialogue, so much character interaction and nuance. So what are your thoughts on the dialogue and the politicking in this episode? Yeah, good question. So uh, I, I agree with you that they're very similar to the earlier seasons of Game of Thrones. There's a lot of character developments, really character driven. So one thing I really appreciated was I did watch the six minute like behind the episode. It happens right after the episode comes on. And some of the writers were in there discussing, you know, episodes one, two and three were about the character development, like I was just mentioning. And what I kind of appreciated is, you know, we are in it. We're see episode one, episode two, episode three. This is great. But what it kind of seemed from them was that they were trying to just get through episode one, two, and three to set the stage for the rest of the show, like the rest of the series. So we had to get through all these time jumps. We had to set the, plant the seeds of what's actually happening. And so now at the end of this episode, we have... Rhaenyra uh, set up as Rhaenyra. We have Viserys set in his decision making and as Viserys. And then we have Damon's crazy ass as like the Damon that we're going to know from here on out. So all the characters are set after these three episodes. And so to answer the question about what I thought about this episode's dialogue and politicking, phenomenal. I mean, last episode was a lot more talking. It was a little less uh, action. This one had, like you said, sandwiched action, politicking, action. Um, the symbolism in the hunt was really cool for me because I love the Game of Thrones original series. Um, and so, like, obviously, season one of Game of Thrones with Robert Baratheon and his hunt and everything like that, there was a lot of various of similarities, but you could also see the timing difference. Like, this is more of a festival. It was more of a celebration rather than just, like, the king and a few of his high council members that went out and his, and his um, the cupbearer, basically, went out into the woods. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Because, first of all, the last time we saw a hunt, with a boar that happened on screen, it went very badly. So when Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra had to face off against the boar in this one, I was I was afraid. I was like, I know that y'all are both main characters, but Game of Thrones is not above killing book characters early, and it's not above letting characters that die in the books live longer than they do in the story. So I was I was a little nervous. I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen right now. But I I for one definitely enjoyed the symbolism between. Um, the two different stags they were hunting. So uh, what did you get from that? Like, what were your thoughts on the two separate stags and what was going on there? Yeah, so I found it really interesting that the white stag was such a big um, aspect. You know, that's kind of like the King Arthur type of stories, um, that there's a big a lot of symbolism in the white stag. And I really appreciated that the stag that Viserys ended up killing was not the white stag, but Rhaenyra is the one that saw it. And so the stag that Viserys did kill um, one thing that they mentioned in the after the episode was that it kind of set Viserys' decision because the white stag, you know, Otto Hightower is all on his high 
horse and saying, well, the kings are making their favor towards your son to be the heir to the Iron Throne instead of Rhaenyra. And um, so Viserys now has this seed of doubt in his mind that he made the wrong decision. And I feel like if he would have seen the white stag and killed the white stag, then it would have solidified that, hey, Aegon needs to be the heir, not Rhaenyra. But instead, Rhaenyra was able to see it and it set her, um, it made her more confident. It made her more comfortable. And then the stag that Viserys ended up killing kind of set his decision and said, okay, I think I'm okay for now until after he, you know, drank and one of my favorite lines was the gods are punishing me for my indulgences. And I was like, I'm going to use that. <laughs> no, I totally, I agree with what you're saying. And I was, I was sitting there wondering, cause obviously he makes the same decision in the books. He decides to uphold his promise to make Rhaenyra heir, even though he has sons. And fun fact, the note about Aegon the Conqueror's crown is so interesting because there's two separate crowns in this series. There's Aegon the Conqueror's crown, which his son does end up wearing. And then there's Jaehaerys' crown which is the one Viserys wears and it's the one that um, his daughter Rhaenyra is going to wear for her half of like the war for secession. So his dream was right. I also found interesting that the dream didn't say that his son was king. It just said he was wearing the crown, which would have been like a dead giveaway. But in the context of the show is um, it's just a little more nuanced to kind of flesh out his character and dive into. Cause afterwards I was like, I was trying to figure out why he would have really kept making that decision even after all the drama of the hunt and all that was going on. And that's a really good point that, you know, I think the stag also kind of felt like Viserys to him because the stag was being pulled in all different directions. It definitely did not want to be there. It could have had all this potential, but it couldn't, you know, make a decision and go anywhere because it was being pulled in all these different directions. So I think he was definitely sympathizing with the stag itself and he's like i don't want to kill it also that's not a hunt there's no sport in that when that's there no. that was I, I found it very sad so um but there was more symbolism in the whole um in the weekend that they spent i guess or the week or whatever time they spent out there on the hunt so we see viserys struggling to kill the stag because obviously it's tied up it's a very sad situation and then you see Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole face off against a boar, not unlike the one that um, got Baratheon, Robert Baratheon, in the first season of Game of Thrones, right? So, and we see how different they are approaching these things. So what did you get out of that situation? Yeah, so I found that really interesting because um, it was kind of the, the culmination of uh, Rhaenyra's aggravation. Like, she took shit out on that boar. Um, and I found it really interesting that Viserys was hesitant to kill the stag that he that's the entire reason he went on this hunt and then Rhaenyra is just chopping the shit out of this boar uh, but one of my favorite scenes was Rhaenyra walking back into the camp uh, on horseback with the boar behind her and she's just covered in blood and literally everybody is like okay <laughs> That was such a good scene. Also, okay, so they introduced several uh, very important people in this episode. So you've got the, the Lannister twins, who, um, uh, Jason Lannister, there's Tyland and Jason Lannister. Jason Lannister was giving me, like, early Jamie energy before Jamie stopped being so, like, prideful and, like, all about himself. He was giving me major Jamie energy, and I was like, you kept the Lannister energy, sir. There you go. <laughs> and then, um, obviously, his brother is much more reserved. He plays a very important part throughout the story. Tyland Lannister does. 
So, um, but Harwin is there. They introduced Harwin. And for um, people who haven't read the book, Harwin is going to be someone who's very important to Rhaenyra. So when you saw her um, walk past and she's covered in blood and he's just like, okay, girl. And she's like, <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I'm a badass. Right. And so he just like watches her go past and she just looks at him like, yeah, what about it? <laughs> it was so good. I was like, this is, this is a good setup for their relationship. I was here for it. I got really excited. <laughs> I really appreciated that Jason Lannister, the one that was trying to hit on her earlier, was kind of like, ugh. And then you saw Harwin, like, yep, get it. <laughs> no, he's, because uh, Jason's like, okay, this is, you look kind of scary right now. And um, Harwin's over there. Well, I don't know what he was doing, because I, I thought about all sorts of jokes in my head, because I think he was skinning a squirrel or something, and I was like, this is not romantic at all. But he's just like, that's a woman right there. <laughs> Harwin is going to be really important, and they definitely introduced him. Um, the Lannister twins are important, too. And you got to hear about Joanna Lannister, who is badass. So I'm just really excited for how all these new characters are going to be in, because now we've met them officially, now they're there, and now we kind of get to see how they're going to interact with the story moving forward. But, yeah, like, I kind of... I also kind of thought it showed more of Rhaenyra's grit. So, uh, yeah, you had a point. Like, she was taking all her frustration out on the board. Because I think she was like, I'm tired of people trying to take things from me. This board is trying to take my life. This person trying to take my throne. <laughs> people trying to take my hand in marriage. You can't take nothing from me. <laughs> so she just goes in. And then, like I said, it's a totally different situation with Viserys. Obviously, the animal is a different situation. The whole hunt is not even really a hunt. That was like, I was like, this isn't even fair. It's not, there's no point there. So, but it also shows that Viserys just does not have that grit about him whatsoever. And Rhaenyra absolutely does. And I thought that was a really good way to set up her character overall. Yeah, I will say, um, tangent, I do hunt. I grew up hunting in, in West Virginia. And so to me, the way that they hunted that stag and then like they uh, praised him and was like, yay, good job for killing the stag. It's like, well, it's kind of like bear hunting, which isn't really bear hunting. They just send the dogs to like tree it up a tree and then they shoot it out of the tree. I'm like, nah, is that actually hunting? And, and then they have to like make him feel good about it because he's the king and he's like, yay, I did this thing and now I'm going to feed this festival. And I'm like, eh, is that hunting? I don't know. That's, that's kind of what I was thinking as well, because I understand it's tradition, and way back then it was definitely a tradition. Um, but personally, I felt there was no sport in it. It was absolutely unfair. You had, like, what, 20 people after the one deer. You had all sorts of dogs. And the first thing I thought of was the last time we saw hounds, it was Ramsey. And <laughs> Ramsey was horrible. So, um, but, yeah, so I was just like, it made me kind of sad. And I think it made Viserys sad, too. I think he realized that there was no sport in it either. He's like... What is this pageantry that I have to put on? Like, he knows he didn't do the hunt. He knows it wasn't his kill. He was just, you know, the person who held the spear. So I noticed an Easter egg out of that scene of King Viserys killing the stag. He is down a couple of digits on his hand. Did you notice his gloves? I did. And it's it's that's a very important note. I'm so happy you brought that up because um, <laughs> when I saw it, I was like, oh, no. But, um, yeah, so... Obviously, everybody knows he gets injured on the Iron Throne. And um, in the show, it looks like he's been injured a couple of times. So his health starts failing. And um, I think that he also um, did enjoy his wine in the books as well. So his health starts failing as he um, gets older, as Rhaenyra and Alicent get older. So I think we're going to kind of start to see that steady decline, especially since he was, um, what do they say, in his cups for so much of the, um, <laughs> for so much of the festival. 
So I do definitely think we're going to see a steady decline because his hand did not look like it was a clean amputation. It did not look like it was a healthy situation there. So, and it did not look like the maggots had worked properly. So I was like, Ooh. Oh, those maggots, man. Apparently they didn't work. (laughs) Apparently not. Yeah. So um, now that we've covered the blood section, there was also a lot of fire in this episode. There was so much of it. We got to see the step zones and we have two dragons to talk about this time. So let's go ahead and jump into our fire section and start getting this shit done. Okay. So yeah, we got to see two dragons in action this episode, which is awesome um and you mentioned her name or her or his name was sea smoke so so first of all is sea smoke a girl dragon or a guy dragon so there are actually some dragons in the um song of ice and fire universe they can change at will so they're not necessarily male or female in fact there's one page where i want to say it's caraxes or um vagar but um, there's a page where um, the dragon's pronouns are changing down the page. And I had to go back and reread it a couple of times to make sure I wasn't mixing up because there were two dragons on the page at one time. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so they can actually um, change at will. And obviously, there's also a possibility that maybe they may not be able to be uh, determined right off the bat. So maybe you might think it's a male dragon when really it's a female dragon, etc. So um, I don't think Sea Smokes is ever actually um, said explicitly. I think they refer to Sea Smoke by Sea Smoke's name. Throughout Interesting. The, throughout the lore and probably also throughout the show. But Sea Smoke is like a, as you guys saw, is um, like a pale silver gray dragon. So they're keeping like, they're really keeping track of like the descriptions and which dragon looks like what. And um, we know that Sea Smoke is Lenor Valerian's dragon. Lenor is not um, Sea Smoke's only rider throughout the whole story. But I think that uh, Lenor is Sea Smoke's first rider. So it's so cool because um. I think I've said in a few previous episodes that Targaryens and um, Valerians who have Targaryen like direct blood, um, because Corlys and Rhaenys are married, and Rhaenys has a direct Targaryen descendants, so they raise their kids with their dragon. So they'll put the dragon egg in the cradle, and then you know the dragon and the kid grow up alongside each other. By the time the kid's old enough to fight or fly, the dragon is too. So um, Lenor actually gets to ride Sea Smoke into battle, which is so, so cool. And it's like you said, I think earlier, it's cool to see um, some male dragon riders, right? So because we we saw John, but we didn't like start out with John, right? John didn't start out knowing John could ride a dragon. He was like, please don't eat me. And all the all the jokes that arose from that one meme, etc, you know? Right. So, but it was so so cool, and I was I did not think we were gonna see like a dragon torching stepstone soldiers, and it also was not even Caraxes. It was not even Caraxes. It was Sea Smoke that came in and saved the day, and I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> so one thing I really appreciated about that battle scene is, you know, we're used to like I mentioned earlier, we're used to um, Daenerys coming in and just like murdering everybody in the last two um, seasons of Game of Thrones, but. That one specific scene when Sea Smoke is killing all of the archers on the little cliffside, <clears throat> one thing I really appreciated was it's Lenor didn't overdo it. Like he didn't make Sea Smoke breathe fire until there was like no cliff left. He just did it barely enough to kill the archers, and then that was it, and he went off and flew something else. So or flew elsewhere. So the um the anger, I guess, that we're used to seeing Daenerys fly Drogon with isn't there. And then the battle um, savviness was there. And I kind of appreciate those little nuances that you can see the differences in the in the generations, I guess. 
Agreed. Agreed. And that actually reminds me of like a really good point. So everybody knows that, you know, the Targaryens, their biggest chess piece is their dragons, right? Like that's their biggest, their biggest card they can play. But um, historically, they've always used them very, very wisely. Like um, when Aegon and his siblings came over, um, they had ground forces, like they fought mostly normal and their dragons were their like their their iron fist basically. So you bring up a really good point. He um, was using a lot of strategy when he had um, sea smoke coming up across the archers, and he also he didn't torch everybody on the ground. There's like intervals, etc. So I think that he's using like they're using their dragons to thin them out, and the foot soldiers can handle it easier. Because there's some instances, yeah, there's some instances with uh, the field of fire in um, earlier in Fire and Blood, which is where um, I think it's Aegon and Visenya are fighting and they're basically kind of using their dragons their dragon fire as a as a tactical advantage and not a i'm gonna wipe everybody out thing so yeah I think they're, very, they're very careful with their dragons historically because you know you lose your dragon now you've lost your advantage so they're they're very very strategic and careful with how they use their dragons for the most part one of my favorite scenes in the battle was when corliss and the foot soldiers are finally coming up to help daemon and <clears throat> there's all sorts of action going on in the um, cinematography is phenomenal, but there was a he there was um, a zoom in on Corliss, and then behind him you see sea smoke come in and a, just a blast of fire. But what I really appreciated about that scene, and something that I've appreciated about all the episodes, is the Game of Thrones as we know it. Everybody just talks about the fierceness of the dragons and how many dragons there used to be, and now there's three, and everyone's just terrified of them. But now it's just like dragons are a way of life. Like everybody's just used to them flying around. People who get into battles know potentially they're going to get burned by a dragon. And everybody's just kind of okay with it. Like we're just so used to the fear of all of these dragons due to the Game of Thrones original series. And now you have like Corliss is in there and then Sea Smoke comes in and just burns everybody right there. But it's, it's just so nonchalant. It's just the way it is instead of them zooming in on the dragon and burning everybody and like making it a thing it, it's just it's just part of battles at this point in time and i just i love that so much yeah and it's so interesting like, it looks like um the crab feeder might have actually been burned at one point too but you bring up a really good point that everybody it looks like everybody goes into it kind of expecting it to happen like you might get speared or you might get gutted or beheaded you also might get burnt by a dragon so i think they kind of go into it knowing that i think a little bit because um you're right we did see when danny would bring her dragons that everybody would just be like oh my god i can't go i'm leaving i'm going to defect fuck this it's not worth it but now everybody's like yep this might happen it's very possible i'm going to get turned to smoke and ash on this battlefield and i'm going anyways so and also like i imagine that when you are flying a dragon you have to be super careful not to thin out your own soldiers like you're gonna have to be really careful not to torch your own men because you can see like the valerians are just forward charged they don't even look back and i think that you have to have so much trust in the dragon rider to not include you in the like inferno so one thing about the, like the cinematography we're talking about too um and i know we mentioned this i think we mentioned it in episode one but the writers and the four showrunners of this show are the writers who wrote uh, episodes from the original series like Hardhome, Battle of the Bastards, The Long Night, which is the Battle of Winterfell. On those episodes are so phenomenal. And I could pick out some similarities between the Battle of the Bastards and um, this um, sequence, this battle sequence. They were just so good. 
Agreed, agreed. Yes, because um, the whole, that's what some of my friends were saying too. They were like, all right, so Damon had his solo charge kind of like Jon Snow did. Yes. Like, and so they were trying to, um, they were debating who would win in a fight between Damon and Jon Snow. So um, I think we're all, they're all of the opinion <laughs> that Damon might win. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of siding with them because I think that he had more formal training and Damon is not above doing some dirty shit when he's fighting That's people. That's the thing. So, right. so we'll, we'll just put it, we'll let it be the debate for the comment section. Like, who do you think would win in a battle between Damon and Jon Snow? Who would do it? Yeah, I want to hear what everybody's opinion is. I'm not going to give mine until until next episode. And okay. then we'll, I want to see what the comments say. Okay, sounds like a plan. <laughs> I am interested to hear it because I was like, all right, there are some similarities happening right now. The characters could not be more different. But the cinematography, no. the cinematography was very just just expert level. It was so good. Uh, correct. So we were talking about the War of the Stepstones last episode. We thought that was going to be kind of, you know, episode five, maybe. But so far, we've been kind of wrong on the timeline jumps. And there have been a lot of large timeline jumps in the first three episodes. So what do you think of those jumps? Are they too drastic? Are they just right? What is what what do you think about those? I think they're actually really good. So there are some gaps in the story because um, Fire and Blood, you know, it's like a fictional historical novel, a historical history. So, um, <laughs> so there are some gaps in the story. Like, for instance, there's like a five-year gap, I think, from when um, Damon and Lena get married and then when the next, like, big events happen. People are having kids in the interim, but, like, the next big thing doesn't happen until, like, five years down the road. So I think they're progressing it naturally. And I've also noticed they make, like, a strong point in the beginning of the episode to tell you how far it's been like um i think um the previous one was like a three month like a six month jump like six half a month. year and then i think damon said not damon uh Viserys says they've been fighting down there for three years it can wait three more days i was like actually it can't <laughs> it cannot right. wait <laughs> you are wrong <laughs> but um so they make it a point to kind of let us know how long it's been since the last thing happened so I think the timeline jumps are actually very, very natural. I think we're going to see a lot of them, especially um, once we get to um, the adult version of some of the characters. Yeah, and I think they do it pretty organically when they're explaining the timeline jump. And so essentially with this episode, we're about four and a half years after episode one. So that's a big jump in like maturity levels and character development. And I, I think they do do a pretty good job, like you mentioned, of just explaining where they are. So he's saying, you know, oh, well, they've been fighting for three years, which is three years after the end of episode two. And then obviously he had now has a two year old son and Allison is pregnant again. So it's been a, it's been a minute. Yeah, yeah. And you can kind of see that maturity reflected in Rhaenyra also. And she has just had it at this point with what's going on. She's pissed at Allison. She's pissed at her father. She's pissed at this poor little kid who at this time has no, he has no idea what's going on, but he doesn't stay a poor little kid for long. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't stay cute and innocent forever. So I think Rhaenyra is just, she's just pissed and you can see it. Uh, you can see the progression with Damon. You can see um, Viserys is even more conflicted than he has been. Allison is much more mature. She's like, you know, I'm a mom now. It doesn't have to be like this, even though it's going to get so much worse <laughs> in the future. It's going to be like this for a while. So um, I think everybody is so much more mature. And I think her, Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole's relationship has also kind of grown over time. So because he mentioned that, you know, she named him to the Kingsguard and she wrote his name in the book. And I thought about uh, Brienne and Jamie in that moment yes. where Brienne wrote Jamie's name in the book. And I was like, oh, and he's like, you know, all that I have, I owe to you. I don't think that's like a small thing. So their relationship is definitely kind of blooming and flourishing also. 
And that's something to kind of keep an eye on the trajectory they're moving forward to. So I think I'm so, so excited for how these characters are going to develop and for um, the ties that are going to go stronger and the ties that are going to be broken in ridiculous ways. I am here for Rhaenyra's pettiness. Let me tell you something. She is doing so well with the petty. And like when she went up to that lady red wine, she's like, well, what are you doing for the realm other than eating cake, ma'am? Like, <laughs> and then her dog eats hey. her cake. And I was like, <laughs> I oh, God. And Allison's just like, oh, fine. Also, I like that little note where Allison said something on Rhaenyra, in Rhaenyra's favor, like on her behalf. And she's like, you know, Rhaenyra is doing a good job. She's more suited to this than Damon. Damon made his choices. And she gives Rhaenyra a look like I'm really trying to be nice to you right now. I'm really trying to help you out, make you look good. And Rhaenyra's like, save it. <laughs> Walks off. So, but I know like the pettiness is so, so real. The pettiness in the wagon ride and as a thing, their yelling match in front of everyone. I was like, can Ugh. y'all take it outside the tent, please? That's what Otto was like, sir, you are in front of people. People can hear you. And I, I don't remember who raised their voice first, but I was like, y'all need to get it together. Like save appearances. At least, at least go like scream in the woods, like go to the woods and yell at each other. Go somewhere where no one knows it's y'all, right? Right. That actually is a really good segue into my final question for you. <laughs> um, so Damon's victory in the Stepstones was pushed by Viserys offering his help. Which is a little dramatic, but is he this angry and against Viserys in the books? So I actually can't remember if it says that he beat the messenger who um, brought the notice of aid to the Stepstones, but there is a different situation where he beats the shit out of somebody who brought him a different message. I want to say it's one about, um in the books, you know, him having to send Masaria away, but there is absolutely a situation um, regardless of what it was for. I forget the exact event at this time, but Damon is known to... Uh, kill the messenger basically he's he, he's not the person you want to bring any sort of news to actually because clearly you have no idea how he's going to react even if it's good news technically even though 10 ships kind of seemed small in my opinion it seemed like a small amount of ships to send and like i said i don't know how much 2,000 foot soldiers might change the tide of a battle at that time but the 10 ships i was like really they've been losing the war for three years and you're just going to send 10 ships why not just like why not just totally just destroy it, like send 20 or something and just come in in force and end it all, right? So, but um, he is definitely, I think there's a statement somewhere that says, you know, um, every time the gods, the Targaryens are born, the gods of the coin and um, the world holds its breath to see where it was landing. And I think the statement about Damon is that it hasn't landed yet. So the coin is still like, up in the air flipping and so he's more likely to do one thing than he is another and then vice versa and i think i've also read somewhere that he's martin's favorite he's one of martin's favorite characters because he's such a morally great character and he's as likely to be nice and save someone's life as he is to chop their head off in front of their loved one so he's just he, he, he's very unpredictable and he has his reasons and his means to do all the things that he's you know doing and he can talk all his shit. He can back it up. He can basically handle himself in whatever situation he's in. But you're always asking yourself, like, is this really someone you want on your side? So, but I think he answers the question well enough by the end of the story. So I'm, I'm just so excited to see how, like, the internet's opinion of Damon changes as the tide of the story goes on. So, I do enjoy that Corliss and him are still seemingly buddies, yeah. even after three years of being in this war. And, you know, Damon has a dragon, and you would think that that would ensure victory um but Corliss is still backing him up and he's like nah listen you're not gonna you know stab him in the back you're not gonna do a mutiny yes we're tired yes this needs to end but 
he's gonna be he's gonna help us eventually agreed and that's another thing that i noticed um about this like the song of ice and fire stories as a whole is that dragons don't always make the difference like a lot of times they are put up against something that um kind of prevents them from being able to do so like in this one the triarchy has caves they hide in a dragon the size of Craxes cannot go in a cave and smoke someone out like if once they're in the caves it's done you can't do anything about it you just have to wait for them to come out and it could be at night you may not know they may get the drop on you so they the dragons are like um like an iron fist or like a final card to play but they're not always the complete turning point and i i also appreciate that corley's is not intimidated in any way whatsoever by the fact that the Targaryens have dragons. Cause he's like, you legit cannot be without me. I am your naval fleet. I protect you at sea. I protect your ports. I am the reason you have trade. So I think that he is secure in his position and he also, but he's not, he's not like pompous and pious and prideful about it. He's very realistic about it. He knows his position. He knows what it can do for him and he knows what he can do for them and what they, um, and, he knows that they have to respect him because of his position in the realm and he can leverage that however he wants to. And so I just like that dynamic. Yeah, you're so right. And I wanted to, I've mi- I forgot to do this earlier, but for anybody who isn't sure what's going on with the war of the stepstones and what the triarchy are is basically um, <clears throat> Dragonstone is a little Island off of the coast by near ish King's landing. And then there's drift Mark, which is where Corlys Valerion's um, home is, which is an Island that's closer to Westeros than um, Dragonstone. But basically the triarchy are all of the free cities from Essos. Me, uh, lease me mirror, I think. And then I don't remember the other one. I could look it up really quickly. Um, but the three free cities from Essos, they came over and uh, kicked all the pirates off of the Stepstones and conquered the Stepstones. And then they now they're raising tolls. And since Corlys Valerion is in charge of the naval fleet there, he can't afford the tolls anymore. So he wants to kick. And then now the crab feeder and or Craig Estrear was um, killing people and feeding them to crabs, literally. So then Corlys wants to take care of that. And he also can't afford the tolls anymore. So uh, that's why the War of the Stepstones happens. Yeah, that was that was that was a fantastic rundown. Yeah, I think it's um least Tyrosh and Mir. I think or I think it's Mir. Yes, Tyros and Mir. Yes, you're right. Yeah, so you're you're totally right because of the pirates. They're um basically charging everybody to go through that, and it's really cra- it's really cracking down on trade. It's uh, cracking down their ability to move freely throughout the narrow sea. So there was a reason that Carly's was trying to get Viserys to do something, and Viserys would not do anything. So he's like, "All right, Damon, let's team up. Let's go. You got something to prove. I need to get this problem taken care of. Let me just like use your ambition and point it in the right direction." <laughs> Right, because if you think about it, it's basically like imports, and it's just going to be way too expensive, and Corliss can't afford it, which means the Crown's not going to be able to afford it, which means Westeros is then out of imports and every and exports and all of these issues that are political that they are referencing in something that you wouldn't imagine to be political, but it's what creates battles. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, that's that's so much of how it happens. And I think Corlys is also trying to protect all of his investments because, like he said, he worked so hard to build up his seat at Driftmark and his position in the realm. Like, he's there's there's a theory, um, not a theory, there's a rumor that there might be a possibility of a spinoff. It's somewhat possible at this time. They're still working on it. But there's um, a possible Corlys spinoff in the future. Um, about his nine voyages because he went on so many adventurous voyages around the world. He brought back so many goods that were so rare and valuable that he basically built up his seat and his position. Like he's the reason that um, this naval fleet is so not impeccable, but so 
daunting, I think, and intimidating. He's the reason that Driftmark, like, Driftmark has always been important. House Valerian has always been important, but Corlys has made the name. So he's just like, um, I cannot let the triarchy jeopardize everything he's worked to build. So I am happy that he and Damon have, like, teamed up to take care of something that Viserys would not do anything about. And, like, even Rhaenyra was like, you need to do something about this. They are, like, and the Narrow Sea, like, the Stepstones is not really that far from King's Landing. I have, like, this big uh, ta wall tapestry my friend brought me over here that I look at when, like, I film. And it's like, how far away is it, right? So it's not, it's far enough away, but not that far away. Like, it's a threat to King's Landing if they get, um you know the stepstones it's a base and they can kind of go different directions so it's a big danger and that's why Corey's was definitely like he was aiming to get Viserys to do something but like you said he got Damon and now they're down and taking care of it and so since last week we thought we were gonna get you know like a little bit of stepstone action we were gonna get more Alicent and Viserys and all this other stuff and I was totally wrong I have done some research this time people I refreshed my memory because I've read Fire and Blood but I read it before the show came out so I'm trying to like get all the moving pieces back together in my head so we have cooked up our dragon dream section and we're gonna jump into it with the projected possible <laughs> possible timeline right now all right so here are my guesses for the timeline so i want y'all to know that i looked it up okay i cross-referenced all <laughs> the dates and i made like a temporary projected timeline on my phone so um, so we've got right now we're at the King of the Narrow Sea portion of the story, right? We've got Damon. He's down there in the Stepstones. He's getting his, um, his wooden King of the Narrow Sea crown together. And um, in the story, he's going to bring it back to Viserys. And that's where you see Graham McTavish hold the sword out. Damon approaches. And, you know, the, the drama, I'm sure, will absolutely ensue. So there's a few key things that happen um, after he established himself as King of the Narrow Sea and wins the victory, like we saw in this week's episode. So the next thing that happens is a very important thing. It's um, Viserys and Alicent's fifth anniversary. And this is where the factions start for the war for secession. And so what happens is they throw this big tourney. I don't know if we'll see the tourney since we've already seen a tourney. They may just do something else. But um, actually, no, we saw a picture. We saw a teaser picture. And um, there's a possibility we may see a tourney. And Alicent wears a green dress. And Rhaenyra wears a red and black dress in the colors of um, House Targaryen. Uh, so as you know, there's been some tension. So some people are on Rhaenyra's side. Some people are on Alicent's side. And this is where the factions really break off. And so they start calling one side the greens and one side the blacks after the dress colors that each lady was wearing. And so who is a supporter of Alicent and who is a supporter of Rhaenyra because of their different house colors, right? Or... Uh, yeah, I think I think Hightower is green. I think that's their house color. Yeah, I think so. So, so that's probably something that we're going to see because we have seen Allison in her green dress. Um, the tension is brewing. So um, that's a big possibility for the next episode. And then after that, Rhaenyra and Laenor get married. So which we saw some um, teasers for in the trailer, like the, one of the original trailers. So and I think it's going to backfire on Viserys in a big way that he told Rhaenyra to pick the person she wanted. I think while while from a fatherly point of view it was good advice it's you know he wants his daughter to be happy Rhaenyra is also a very rebellious person and I think that it's going to cause more drama overall the fact that he told her that especially because um, eventually she does kind of marry to strengthen her secession so I'm interested in seeing how they're going to play that off so after the anniversary tourney and um, the establishment of the two different factions, uh, Rhaenyra and Laenor get, get married. 
and they probably have a little dance where they're at the big feast and the Valerians walk in and Rhaenyra's looking at Damon and Damon's looking at Rhaenyra and everybody's dancing. And then um, after that, Damon leaves the Narrow Sea, or he probably has left at that point, probably. And he actually marries Lena Valerian. And they have like a whole relationship thing going on. And so um, Rhaenyra is with Laenor, Damon is with Lena. And there's a big gap, like I think there's like a five-year gap, during which time I think Rhaenyra is having children. And um, the, the drama will be real and the tea will be real and the court rumors will be strong, pun intended, <laughs> um, because there's a big gap between uh, when Damon and Lena get married, everybody starts having babies, and then the, some more big things start happening in 120 AC, which is like a five-year interim. So that's the projected possible timeline. How they execute it, we have no idea. <laughs> So you think next episode we're going to get the foundation, more foundation of the rest of the series? Because so far they've established every all the characters, but now they have to establish the storyline. Yeah, I think there's a strong possibility because let's see, because Aegon II is two in this one and there was a three-year jump. So I don't think it would be that implausible to see like another three-year jump. So um, he'd be what, like five at that point or like four or five maybe. So there's a strong possibility that we will see um, that anniversary and like the establishment of the factions. And there's another strong possibility that we might maybe get some wedding action. We're probably going to get something. Like I think it's about time now because now um, Lenor's older actor has been introduced. So and he's established himself as like a he's like a war hero now. He's um, keeping up the family name basically. He's a good match um, politically for Rhaenyra. So there's a strong possibility we'll see that. And also, I know from the trailer, um, Damon has short hair when he brings the um, his wooden crown to give to Viserys. He has short hair when like they throw him down on the floor at some point. And then he has short hair at the wedding feast. So there's a possibility that all those things happen in that same general interim of time. And I have like I have a theory about what the finale is going to be, but I don't have enough information yet for it to be valid. <laughs> so I'm still trying to like assimilate information and try and see if I'm right about it. But if they end it like on the note that I kind of hope slash expect them to, it's going to be like the coolest, most give me season two possible ending okay. ever. And I'm so I'm so excited. So I think we're probably gonna see a shift because like I said there's that five year gap where um, they, where Rhaenyra is basically having kids and we've seen some of her kids in the trailer and we see, theoretically, I think we see Lena's funeral scene in one of the trailers also. Like they look like a funeral at High Tide or um, on Driftmark. So I think that that's when the characters will change. I think they're going to go from uh, Damon marrying Lena maybe and then boom, big jump, older characters. Okay. That's my theory. Yeah. Well, so far they haven't jumped times within an episode so it's been one episode of a timeline and then they jump for the next episode. So I kind of do appreciate that. I hope they maintain that um, process because I enjoy that the the episode that we're watching is all in, within the same time frame. Uh, and then the next one can be the time jump. So I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's made it so it's made it much easier to watch than like mid episode time jumps. It just kind of give you that feel that like jarred feeling a little bit. You're just like uh, hard stop. And then it goes on to something else. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy. Like I am definitely enjoying how they're pacing this show. Like they're giving you all the information you need. You know your characters. You know who's likely to do what, why everyone's upset with each other. And they're going to get into like the absolute grit of it later on. And so I cannot wait for what happens in episode four. Also, I am loving these episode names. 
like the heirs of the dragon, the rogue prince, the um second of his name. I was just like, right. this is just this is really good. <laughs> and if you think about it, he's not technically Aegon the second of his name yet until they, he takes the actual throne. So right now he's just Prince Aegon. So the fact that they named it the second of his name is a little Easter egg in itself because it's like, is he going to be the second of his name or is he just going to be Prince Aegon? And they're, the Targaryens name each other after their um, predecessors very often. So the second and third, like keeping the numbers right is going to be like really important to keeping the timeline and keeping all the, because there's so many Aegons. So keeping all the Aegons straight in your head. So I know. So I'm so excited to see what happens in next week's episode. I know Michelle is too. And we're going to be back every Tuesday on CouchSuit.com during season one to recap the latest episode of House of the Dragon. And next week is episode four. <laughs> yes, it's going to be so good. So make sure you hit that like button that helps us out. Let us know in the comments what lore you'd like us to dive into next. Don't forget to comment about who you think would win in a battle between Jon Snow and Daemon uh, Targaryen because I really want to see that um, argument. <laughs> it's a discussion. It's not an argument. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a polite discussion. We're definitely yeah, going to be comparing be strategies, but it's a polite discussion. For sure. Anyway, and we will see you guys next week with all the fire and soup. Are you ready to go down the rabbit hole? The All Things Alice podcast will explore the cultural phenomena of Alice in Wonderland. Frank Bedore, the author of the Looking Glass Wars trilogy, is your host through a wonderverse of interviews from all types of creators as they chronicle the dark yet empowering reality of Lewis Carroll's fantasies and answer the question, what is it about Alice that captivates us still today? The All Things Alice podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts.